alibi. Origin late 17th century as an adverb in the sense of elsewhere, from Latin elsewhere. The noun use dates to the late 18th century. Elsewhere is where I live and where I travel. Through the gloom and between the moments, I visit places, people, and occasionally things. I listen to their dreams, their desires, and I keep their secrets. And yes, sometimes I am their excuse. Welcome. I'm Babiole, and this is The Alibi Tent. The Alibi Tent is brought to you by Nixie's Night Market, your online source for custom and one-of-a-kind t-shirts, mugs, throws, socks, and home decor items. For lovers of new and classic horror, as well as witchy and creepy items, and your Halloween all-year needs. Today is Woden's Day, November 25th, waxing gibbous in Aries. Woden's Day is good for intentions of communication, business, travel, negotiations, faster results, and gambling. The waxing moon is suited for intentions involving invocation, attraction, and bringing in. Aries Moon contributes energy for beginnings, will, force, fearlessness, new ventures, and resiliency. Being a secular pagan American in America in late November is stressful, depressing, and draining. By this point, we are almost a month past Samhain and almost a month into pre-game silly season. Whether at work, school, or just trying to get through a mundane checklist, you're surrounded with people and confronted by people who assume you are just like them, Christian, a football fan, and a heavy drinker. In response to this Abrahamic megalomania, I wanted to do an episode about the history, to date, of the who and how of this divisive federal holiday and also share a little about why I don't partake. So if you're tired of all the gobble day pandemic piffle, I totally understand if you choose to take a pass. But if you stay, I hope you take some time, sit back, and maybe learn a little bit about this governmentally sponsored feast day, its origins, its agenda, and just what the hell is a pilgrim anyway. Nearly all of what historians have learned about the first feast of Thanksgiving comes from a letter written in December of 1621 by Edward Winslow, one of the separatists and founders of Plymouth Colony who sailed on the Mayflower in 1620. The only other contemporary account was by William Bradford, Plymouth's governor, who wrote briefly about it 20 years after the event in Of Plymouth Plantation. 
The feast took place over three days sometime between late September and mid-November in 1621 and was considered a harvest celebration of feasting, games, and military exercises. Fifty-one colonists were in attendance, half of which were teenagers and children. Seventy-eight percent of the women who arrived on the Mayflower died during the first winter, and at the time of the feast, there were only four women left. The Plymouth Feast hosts were likely outnumbered more than two to one by Native American attendants. Some historians believe that the natives' attendance was mostly coincidental, because the end of the harvest was when they made their diplomatic rounds to other Native villages. As a practice, the English before and after every meal gave a prayer of thanks. Native Americans offered a prayer of acknowledgement every time they hunted, fished, or picked a plant. This commonality probably helped foster positive feelings between the two communities. As far as what was served, potatoes weren't available in the New World. Pumpkin pie wouldn't have been possible due to a lack of wheat flour, butter, and allegedly an oven. What would have been available? In addition to the venison provided by the Native Americans, fish and shellfish, any vegetables that the colonists grew in their gardens, and native wild plants such as Jerusalem artichokes, garlic, cranberries, grapes, walnuts, and chestnuts. It's not known if the colonists tried to repeat the 1621 feast in following years. However, by the late 1600s, giving thanks merged with harvest celebrations to become a fall tradition. There wasn't any significance attributed to the 1621 harvest celebration until the mid-1900s when a writer rediscovered and published Edward Winslow's letter in their own book. Near the same time, Bradford's manuscript, which had been stolen by the British during the Revolutionary War, was recovered and incorporated into a magazine editor's crusade to create a national Thanksgiving holiday but it would take the intercession of the president in 1863 to proclaim the last Thursday of November as Thanksgiving. Now we move on to the separatists, the Puritans, and the pilgrims. The invention of the printing press provided non-clergy with access to the Bible in their native tongues for the first time. Soon questions as to why the Roman Catholic services were so different than those of the primitive Christian church became common. This gave rise to the Protestant Reformation. It swept across Europe in 1517 and later to the British Isles in 1534. Reformation created the Church of England, which was similar to the Catholic Church except the Church of England granted ultimate authority to the British Crown instead of the Pope. Under COE rule, every British citizen had to attend church and were punished if they did not. However, despite the risks, in the early 1600s, a group of farmers in Northern England known as the Separatists began to worship in secret. Due to their beliefs and practices, they were hunted, persecuted, and eventually sought a new place to live. The Separatists first fled to the religiously diverse Netherlands. 
Despite their peaceful life of 12 years in their new land, the separatists worried that their children were being influenced by local culture. They decided the only way to avoid this unwanted influence and potential loss of their ways was to establish their own settlement in the new world. The word pilgrim is a 13th century word, meaning one who journeys in foreign lands. The usage of pilgrim to denote the founding members of Plymouth Colony came about when in 1800, a group of Plymouth citizens created the Pilgrim Society. Before 1800, the separatists of Plymouth Rock were known as first comers or forefathers. And just as all witches are pagans, but not all pagans are witches, all separatists are Protestants, but not all Protestants are separatists. Separatists believe that the only way to truly live Christian was to leave the Church of England entirely. Puritans, also Protestants, thought they could reform the Church from within. Despite their ethical differences, the two groups shared a lot in common, particularly a form of worship and self-organization called the Congressional Way. In the Congressional Way, Churches are bound together by a covenant and make decisions democratically, including the selection of religious leaders. There are no prayer books, no formal creeds or belief statements, and the head of the church is Jesus, not the Pope or the King. Sunday, or the Sabbath day, worship contained impromptu testifying by the Holy Spirit. This included members of the congregation sharing evidence that the Spirit is creating in their lives situations of patience, goodness, and kindness, which wouldn't be possible with simple human efforts, which were believed to be selfish and unclean. This is referred to in Galatians 5.22-23. through 23. And, congregants crying, Father, Father, or Abba, Father, it was believed that this humble, thankful, and dependent cry cannot be created by a non-believer because they are too selfish and too self-reliant. This is referred to in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 3. The biggest difference between the separatists and the Puritans is that the Puritans, being landed and moneyed, were too invested in their wealth to risk taking a stand against the COE. The Puritans' decision to journey to the New World wasn't godly, but financial. They saw a favorable investment opportunity by owning land in America. And if by being far away from England, they could create an ideal English church all the better, but that certainly wasn't their primary motivation. When the Puritans settled the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630, they arrived in 17 ships, carrying more than a thousand passengers. They had money, resources, self-righteous arrogance, and a sense of divinely ordained entitlement. Ten years later, 
the Massachusetts Bay Colony held 20,000 Puritans, while Plymouth was peopled by just 2,600. Plymouth was fully swallowed up by Massachusetts Bay just a few decades later. In 1820, at the Plymouth Bicentennial Anniversary, Daniel Webster used the separatists as symbols of manifest destiny, which was more of a Puritan mindset. His oration perpetuated the myth that the first feast of Thanksgiving and religious freedom are inherent to America's origin story. In reality, the Puritans absolutely shunned religious freedom and refused cooperation with Native Americans. Even the popular image of the separatists dressed in black and buckles is grossly inaccurate. Both black dye and buckles were very expensive and cost prohibitive to them, a much more likely Puritan wardrobe. Much of the modern pilgrim mythology was promoted in the early 20th century when the upheaval of two world wars inspired a need for Americans to recreate their cultural identity. This is a desire that is familiar to today's Americans, a need for justice and security heightened by the transitioning administration. But to cling to the erroneous stereotypes of the pilgrim is the first of what could be many steps in the wrong direction for modern America. There is a hypocritical element to the pilgrim mythos that leaves me cold. It is disingenuous and manipulative, meant to promote an agenda of theocracy and plutocracy. As a nation, we now and always deserve something better. Somewhere between the mundane and the mysterious, the privileged and the primitive, the divine and the damned, is the alibi tent.